0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Today is the third Sunday in the season, in in the Advent season. And in the one-year lectionary, uh, we like to give these days a, a name, uh, we haven't been doing that this year. We've done it in years past, but it might help to highlight why we have a pink candle or a rose candle. Someone might get upset with me by saying pink, but rose candle as opposed to a purple, sometimes blue candle, it sets it apart. And what usually these names for these um, these 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 Sundays through the Advent season. They come from the introit, and the introit begins with rejoice. So the Latin word is gaudete. It's a little something you can take home with you. If you don't get anything else, you know the Latin word for rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Is there anything to rejoice about today within our day and age? Do we have much to be joyful for? Now, we as Christians would answer that in the affirmative, right? Yes, of course, we have things to be joyful for. We have Jesus, right? We have salvation. We have his word that delivers these promises to us. But there are times... Where, when we don't feel like rejoicing, we need to be reminded of what the prophet Isaiah has said. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she, has, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Is there any comfort to be had? If there's not much joy to be had in this world, where's our comfort? Sometimes we can find ourselves just getting beaten down by all the things that are wrong. We need a lot of comfort today. If you turn on your TV, you see that there's a lot of bad things going on out there. That's probably another reason why we don't have a TV in our house Uh, it's in the attic, just so you know. We have a TV, it's just in the attic. Um, and some people might think, well, you're cutting yourself off from the world. It's like, I still have a smartphone. I still get the news. I still see what's going on. This is not a sermon about TVs or whatever, but it is to say that we are just bombarded with bad news all the time. And it seems like we have a very clear and crystal clear view of what is wrong, of all the bad things going on throughout this world. What we are lacking is a focus on what is truly good. It's very interesting how these things have always been a problem. We think that they haven't been, that these problems are particular to us, but I was reading um, a piece from uh, G.K. Chesterton the other day, uh, he's a he was a British Roman Catholic, which sounds kind of oxymoronic, but I'll I digress. He was a great writer. He has a lot of great things to say. He lived about a hundred years ago, and even a hundred years ago, he said the problem that we have today is that we have a crystal clear view of what is wrong, but no one wants to talk about what is good, right? At that time, he was battling against people who said things like, the golden rule is that there is no golden rule. It's a bunch of just people running around doing whatever they want. They call themselves Christians, but they do whatever they want. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That he says, at least at his point in time, and maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not this is pertinent for us today, he says, the human race, according to, according, to, to, according to religion, fell once and in falling gained the knowledge of good and evil. Now we have fallen a second time and only the knowledge of evil remains for us. All we focus on is what is wrong. All we focus on is how terrible things are going on in like Washington, D.C. and far, far away. In the land far, far away, as some people say. How horrible it is. And he goes so far as to say that at his point in time, that's when they started to say, we need to get people to be healthy. How do we get people to be healthy? We show them diseased organs, and that's how we keep them from drinking and doing all these things like that. He says, it's, it's, it's terrible. All we do is we focus on bad health, so we'll have good health, as opposed to thinking about what good health really means. And that goes for spirituality as well. That goes for our faith as well. If we focus only on all the bad things we should keep from doing, we stop seeing all the good things that have been done for us, right? But it's hard. With all the things going on, again, a clear, clear picture of what is wrong. And you know that I go on these things, but I'll just share the list with you again. Abortion, LGBTQ problems, wokeism, communism, cohabiting, fornication, drunkenness, all these things are still a problem. It is very clear. And it's not that people don't know what God's word is, it's that they know it all too well. They know that God's word speaks against these things and they don't want to hear it. Again, adding to the problem, right? So now it's easy to see John's perspective, John the Baptist. In our text from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, we see that John is in prison. John the Baptist is in much need of comfort and consolation. He doesn't have a whole lot, as far as he can see right now, to, to be joyful for. So we see John when he's in prison and he hears about the deeds of Christ. So he sends word by his disciples and he says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? How often do we find ourselves in John's position? Is Jesus really worth it? Is it really worth it to go to church? Is it really worth it to hear the word of God? Is it really worth it to read the Bible, when it seems like I don't get much out of it, there's so much bad stuff out there, what good is it, right? There's a temptation. And sometimes reading the Bible makes things worse. If I can just go down this path for a minute. Because we hear of the promises of God. John knew the promises of God. What would the Messiah do? Release the captives. What is John He's a captive. He's basically saying, Lord, when are you going to do what you promised to do? How much longer do I have to suffer? When will you make good on these things? It's a hostile question. But it's not one that's done without faith. Let's be very clear about that. John has faith. In God, in his word, in his promises, in the one who is to come, that is the Christ. And he wants to be sure. And there is nothing wrong, folks, about being sure about your salvation. There's nothing wrong with needing comfort and consolation. So often we have so many people who, when they seem like they need help, and someone says, do you need help? They say, no, no, no. I got it. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to trouble you. I don't want to whatever. Christians by nature are weak. We are ones who know that we're weak. We cannot do things without the help of God. And so we ask the hostile questions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Are you the one that is to come, or should we look for someone else? It's faith that seeks understanding. Faith lives alongside of doubt in this day and age. And like I said before, it seems like everybody is focusing on all the bad things. And not so much on what is truly good. And I'm not talking about, you know, keep on the sunny side of life or think positively or uh, how does, I think it's a Perry Como song. You got to accentuate the positive and, and get rid of the negative. Hold on to the affirmative and don't mess with, with uh, Mr. In-Between or something like that. You know, it's not some kitschy little tune. We're talking about here. We're talking about true comfort. True consolation. Where it can be found. Because we need it. We need it. The world is evil. The world is dark. So whatever bit of light we can hold on to, we should hold on to it. And we seem to increasingly... Go through sufferings without any real discernible purpose. at, At least it seems so, right? There are people who will say, and this is this is totally fine to say, but I think it falls short a little bit. And if I can do anything as your pastor, I can encourage you to go a little bit further. Is that it falls short in just simply saying, God has a plan? That is true. God has a plan. Let's go further. What is his plan? What is his purpose? Why does he bring about suffering? Why does he allow us to be chastised by our sins? Why does he allow for us to be chastised when it seems like we didn't do anything to deserve it? Why do we need discipline? God has a plan, and his plan is that you would be made righteous that you would see suffering and hardship as reasons for rejoicing, believe it or not, as reasons for rejoicing in what he has already done for you in giving you his son to die for your sins so that you would have no doubt in the midst of trial and temptation of the one who faced trial and temptation for you, that you would have no doubt of what he's done so that when you pick up your cross, you look to his cross and remember what he has done. That's his plan, that's his purpose, to keep you steadfast, to keep your eyes on Jesus. That was his plan for John. When John was doubting, when John was struggling, and he said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for someone else? So Jesus says, "Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them." Unless we forget, he also adds that last little bit. "And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That word is a scandal. Blessed is the one who is not caused to stumble." because of me, because I decide, that's Jesus talking here, I decide when to bring good and when to bring bad. I decide what is good for you, and blessed is the one who is not scandalized, who is not caused to stumble with what I bring for your good that all things work for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Don't be caused to stumble by this. It is for your good, even though it may be painful at this point in time. Do not be scandalized by this. For the height of faith is believing God is good when he seems evil. The height of faith is saying, Everything is going wrong, but God has promised good, and I will hold on to that above all else. John the Baptist is a good example for us. Not that he is our Savior, not that he merits our salvation, not that if we pray to him or look to him, somehow we will be strengthened apart from Christ. But we see him as a good example because he does things in faith. Even when he's doubting, which is very strange, is it not? That even when he doubts, he goes in faith to where comfort can be found. Right? He subdues his flesh. He controls his mouth. He says very clearly that Jesus in, that, that Jesus is greater. That he, John, must decrease so that Jesus may increase. He sets a good example. And so for us as Christians, it would be good for us to remember what John does in faith. As a good example, looking to Jesus pointing to Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in that sense, be like John. Be steadfast. Be unbending in the truth. Have an eternal perspective. And above all else, when those things fail, when you fail, know where to go to be comforted nowhere to go. And if I can point you in the right direction, when Jesus says that John is a prophet and more than a prophet, he is of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Let's just read a little bit deeper into that from uh, Malachi chapter 3. The fullness of that Verse says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the one who comes, and he does not just come once. He continually comes. He is the coming one. One thing I think that's lost in the translation is that in the Greek, that means that is present tense and ongoing. Jesus continues to come to you when you need him, when you call upon him. He comes to you in his word, in remembrance of your baptism. He comes to you in bread and wine, his body and his blood, to feed you, to strengthen you, to console you comfort you, to bring you peace. Remember what he has done so that when you're faced with that temptation, Lord, are you the one that is to come? Or should we look to somebody else or something else? Remember that the Lord comes. Remember that you must decrease so that he may increase so that you at least Can be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And thus in some strange sense even greater than John the Baptist. For while he was, while there was no one that was greater than John the Baptist who was born of women. You may be least and therefore greater. Because you trust in God. You see him as the one who is to come. Is still coming and is yet to come to save you. Trust in him. Look to John as he points to Christ and ultimately join him in keeping your eyes on Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.